a friend and a brother to me for many of years. Vic has been pastoring a church in Gary, Indiana for a long time, it seems like. And uh, he shares a perspective of the love of God that we need to hear. Um, Vic has seen a lot of things in his life and has experienced a lot of different things. And it's good for us to be able to sit here and receive from him. And one of the things that I, I love about Vic is we used to go on these like family um, church family camp things when we were little kids. And from, from my youngest age, I remember seeing Vic there ministering to people from when I was probably five, six years old. And to be able to sit down with him now and begin to talk about the way that he has seen the faithfulness of God in his life and in his church and his family, it's awesome. And so we were talking, me and Vic sat down for uh, breakfast probably in January. We had this desire to do a, a series on suffering. And I just begin to pick Vic's brain and ask him questions. What do you think about this? And how is this going to work? And uh, we just thought, you know what? It would be so neat if Vic would be able to come here and share with us the work of the Lord in his life. And so Vic said, no problem. When do you want me there? You know, just made, made it directly, just, hey, no problem. And so he's a blessing. So, Vic, why don't you come on up? Let's welcome Vic. So much. Good morning, church. Good morning. You guys are in good voice this morning. I love the worship. Love the sense of abandonment that comes upon you. I, that must be something that has to do with young people. Some of us old people, we have a little bit more. We're a little bit more inhibited, I guess, and and therefore we just tend to just kind of lay back. But let me tell you, burn it up. Try to burn up your zeal, and your passion for God. God always replenishes zeal. Yes. It begins in him. It says of Jesus, the zeal from my father's house consumed me. And so I think don't let anybody tell you, just cool it a little bit. You know, when you get older, you'll understand. Well, I don't know what they have grown to understand, but I've all only grown to understand that God is more faithful, even as I age than when I was young. I wish I'd have known when I was young his faithfulness today. Now, I have a little problem with these sort of ear bobs. I don't know if I got a strange type of ear or what. <laughs> when you laugh, I uh, uh, just recently had uh, prostate operation surgery and things like that, and uh, they were going to do the robotic piece thing. They were going to use a robot. They got a robot now that they can do. Uh, but they got me in, and they started to do the process with the robot. And my anatomy was such that it wouldn't fit the robot. And so after about two hours of trying that, they had to take me in and bring out the old big knife and do the deep dive to get it all out. And they got it out. And so sometimes our anatomies do differ. Uh, but you know what? Our God doesn't. He is a God of all ages and the God of all people. And his faithfulness is, is uh, legendary. Uh, for those who have trusted in him, who've rested upon him for their life's journey. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad for the inheritance that I received from my mother uh, and her faithfulness. Somehow or another, God's graciousness was an exhibition in her life, and I was impacted by her faithfulness. Even though sometimes older people put restrictions on you that you're not so wild about. Y'all know about those? Uh, there was a wisdom, there was a sense of caring uh, that she brought 
Was that for me? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I, just, I, just, I was just kidding. <laughs> Maybe you better hold it. Cause... I was just going to put it down. <laughs> I'll do that. But, you know, there's, there's a wisdom and a grace in God the, that, that um, is demonstrated through caring parents and through loyal uh, people who have been through a few trials and a few difficulties. And so, therefore, it's the wise man who listens attentively or the wise young lady who listens attentively lead to those who listen, those who speak, and those who care for them. And so I find it a great joy to relate with uh, people who are uh, younger than myself, and that's probably most everybody in the room this morning. But uh, God is good. Let me share with you my wife, Faith. Would you stand up? This is my lady right here. Yeah. <laughs> She's God's gift to me. Thank you, dear. We met when she was 12. And I was 15. And for those of you who are good in math, that was 53 years ago. Right? Thereabouts. God's graciousness has kept us. We celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary this year. And... Uh, You know, the scripture says that, the, uh, that for this reason, you know, a man shall leave his father and his mother and uh, shall be joined to his wife. And it says that the uh, two shall become one. I found that it's a 53-year process of becoming one. We are becoming a new creation together. I didn't know who I was supposed to be until we were joined together. You'll catch that maybe next week. But you see... We think uh, we are independent. We think of ourselves, generally our, our thoughts about ourselves, a little bit ambitious, wouldn't you say? Uh, and it's in the course of life, God has to uh, introduce us to the person that he has created us to be. And sometimes we don't like the picture, but if we continue to love him, we will understand that his will and direction for our life is right, always right. I'll show you a little bit. There's a passage in Scripture, and we'll get to that, but I've written, written down a few things. I said, while we may think that we know what is best for us in life, and while we may assess things according uh, uh, to what we see around us, we try to determine the, uh, how we should pursue our lives. Everybody do that. If I ask you what you want to do in life, you would probably have a ready answer, even though, uh, you know, 20 minutes from now it might change. But we, we, uh, we, we, we readily offer up something. Uh, we like, we always come away, I believe, with the wrong conclusions, and we make erroneous decisions because we fail to commit ourselves to him. Scripture says, and it says, it's not given unto man to direct his own steps. However, we readily enter in, don't we, uh, to making our own decisions. And people can tell us, well, look, you know, you should really wait on this. You should really pray. You should really seek. Ah, you know, I know what I want to do. I don't need anybody to tell me. Correct? Y'all getting silent on me. Now, you see, I go to a church where we dialogue in our preaching. You know, it's not, I don't lecture you and you sit there. But it's a sort of a interaction. It's either yes, uh, you're right about that, or just shut up, Pastor, because you're going into areas you shouldn't be into. All right? So we just a little dialogue here. So you can respond back. Okay, interactive. I think we're in an interactive generation, right? We've got to be. I'm using an iPad up here. I didn't even know what that stuff was for years. But, you know, I've been nudged into the generation, technology generation. And, you know, it's all right. 
it's all right. It affords you uh, a, a ability. I, my spelling used to be atrocious, but thank God for spell check. <laughs> you know, I mean, some of the little things of life that come in and help us along the way. So Jesus, Jesus, even in his um, uh, humanness, remember in the garden, he prayed, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. He bowed to a superior purpose, right? A superior plan. And he's the example for us. In another place, he says, I've only come to do your will, oh God. Remember that? So are you, are you there yet? See, God is bringing us to that place. Most of us are not there. You know, we, we, we know what we want to do. And God, we hope that you can bless what we want to do because we really want to do it. Right? But God is, you know, God is, he's patient and he's understanding. But, you know, let me tell you this. He is relentless when it comes to his purpose for each one of us. We are each unique. God has created us unique within ourselves. But that uniqueness that he's given in us is, is vital and sometimes pivotal to his plan for his creation. No one of us is expendable. But in a sense, every one of us is expendable if we don't yield to his purpose. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? All right, got a few more heads nodding. As soon as I get that guy in that red plaid jacket to nod, I know I will be on it. Paul says this in Philippians 2. He says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And so he had this, there was a mind in Christ Jesus, and his intent was not to do his own will. He said, I came to do your will, O Lord, my Father. There, with us, there is a process, isn't it, that takes us to that place where we surrender our will to his. I was blessed by the song this morning and the singing, Adam and, and the musicians. I don't know, did they disappear? Or did they come around here? Oh, okay, they, they got another meeting to go to. No, just, uh, but, you know, the, the whole aspect of the heavens trembling. Did you, did you catch that? You know, once on the heavens trembling and the kings and the kingdoms of this world, what? Bowing before him. It's the sovereign position of a holy God who himself is outside of creation, who orders everything with a transcendent power and, and ordering into our lives, that nothing that he's brought into our lives is irrelevant to his purpose for us. Can we get there? You see, I think this is what will bring us to a place where we'll stand in these days. Uh, many of us are conflicted. Many leaders and, and, and uh, deep thinkers of the world, they don't know how to handle this invasion of 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 uh, what they call natural disasters, that is, smacking this globe with the right hand and with the left hand. It seems like one time and another, all of these things are coming that is causing catastrophic death and suffering and pain and misery, right? And up, uprooting the plans of people, right? Think, you know, there's things in God that will uproot your plans and will, will get your attention, bring you back to a place where you'll submit to him. That's the work of God. He's not... You know, we don't rebuke the devil every time something negative happens. Sometimes those very things are what will put you in the place where God wants you to be, in the right frame of mind, to bring you down off of your throne and to cause you to quiet yourself before him. Say, oh God, would you show me what I don't know? Would you just take me by the hand? Now, let me just say this. God is in love with you. But more importantly, God is in love with his plan for his creation. You read the book of Genesis, you start there. All of what evolved 
out of the mouth of God was already in the heart of God before he spoke it. Even the divine order and the creation of man to reproduce in my image. God was after something then. He's after something now. He explained what he wanted. He wanted the earth to be filled with reproductions of himself. And so sin came in and we are left with something that is less than representative of the most high God. Wouldn't you all agree? All right. And so what's God going to do? Throw in the towel and walk away and create another? No. He's God said, I will have the desires of my heart. That's what he said. And so when the disciples asked him, how do you pray? He said, this is how you pray. You pray that God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and his will is done in earth. How many of you believe that God will answer that prayer? Mm? Yes, he will. Do you know that when his kingdom comes, something else got to go? Some of us live in a big house. We downsize. You know, we got to get rid of some stuff. I mean, those things were good at one point. But now, some of you have been to college, you know, all that junk, I mean, all that stuff you gathered while you were in your dorm rooms, right? You know, you have to get rid of it when you come back. You had to get rid of a lot of stuff that was at home when you went to your dorm room. So all of life is a transition from one season to another, one phase to another. But God is involved in it all. Now, I'm saying this because sometimes there's a negative things that happen in life or those things that appear to be negative. And so we need to have the right mindset as we serve God and as we walk with him. And I was Philippians say, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, let me suggest to you that this mind uh, doesn't just come to us, but God will arrange the circumstances <laughs> of life to develop that mind in us. That's what he does if, he will, if we will allow him to do so. And so that's the challenge, challenge for us. The arrangements of circumstances are sometimes called sufferings, um, difficulties or problems which most of us have this selfish conclusion. Why me? You ever get to that? Why me, God? Why me? As though some way or another, <laughs> we deserve some pristine place above the will and the purpose and the intent of God. Hmm? Why me? Most of us guys, y'all know what I'm talking about. You just get through washing your car and then it starts raining. Oh, come on, God. Take it to the farmers, please, but don't. You know, why me? Why should my life be interrupted by such, you know, what, um, inconveniences? But, you know, God is after something much larger than your convenience. So I just want to share a little bit about my life and different, quote, sufferings or experiences. Or I think, better yet put, the arrangement of God to equip me for his service. God arranged that was uh, my uh, family tell me there was uh, seven in our family and our mother had, she was conceived, she had conceived a male child prior to me. Um, I was, well, I was the next to the last child. So she had conceived a male child prior to me. And because she and my father was going through difficulties, it was her second husband, uh, they aborted, they agreed to abort that child. And, um, but then shortly thereafter, quickly <laughs> thereafter, uh, I, she was pregnant with me. And so she attempted to do the same thing. Uh, she attempted to go and have me aborted. And, uh, as you can see, it didn't work. It failed. And little known to her, I'm sure there was sometimes we don't have a conscious, um, uh, awareness of what is happening. She named me Victor. 
And victor, by definition, means one who overcomes. And so therefore, here, she, she named me one who overcomes. And, and God had a plan for my life even there, in those times, that I was not even aware of. My dad, subsequently later, five years later, he left. Left when I was five years old, and I never saw him again. And so I grew up without the presence of a father in my home. Uh, there was a lot of um, uncles that came in and out uh, as my mom sought her way in life. And, they, and um, it was at a certain point in her life, I remember, she turning her heart over to God. We used to go to the Baptist church, and we went, you know, we went faithfully. But I remember my mom used to love the smoke. Now, this is probably... Anybody here know what a lucky strike is? I'm looking to you, Donald. You know what a lucky strike is? <laughs> All right. It's cigarettes. They were about this big, and we used to call them coffin nails because they were so strong. My mother, would, she used to love lucky strikes, and she used to love fish. She took me fishing. You know, we were, we were raised uh, in a rural area, and so therefore she would go fishing, I'd go fishing with her. And I remember this. Uh, John, what, you know, it was, a, it was a, this event in our life where we'd catch fish, we'd come home, she would clean these fish. And she was able to clean fish with that lucky strike on her mouth, and the ashes would burn right up to her mouth, and they would still be on the cigarette. <laughs> and she, she would clean it, and then she'd get to and she'd take it out, throw it out, and she'd light another one. And so I remember, you know, you remember things. I, we went to church, I remember going you know, with the young people, and I remember getting baptized in the Dewajak Creek. And all of those things surrounded. But there was this incident where we'd gone fishing one time. We came home. And uh, we were cleaning the fish. And I noticed mom did not have a cigarette in her mouth. You know, and uh, I, I thought she must have been out. You know, uh, but I asked mommy, you know, she says, I asked the Lord to take them from me. You know how certain things will stick with you? And so I say, okay, ask the Lord. You know, I said, I know how you like them lucky. So I watched my mother to see whether or not the Lord was strong enough to separate her from that habit. I never saw her put another cigarette in her mouth from that point on. That registered with me that there was a power greater than others. Life, her habits, her misery, her suffering, the fact that men had used her and walked out on her. But there was a God that she began to hold on to, change her life. And I remember when I was in college after I had met Faith, and we were having some problems in the first year of our marriage. And I remember getting down and praying, asking God to come in to my life and help me to do the right thing and to honor him and to love him. When I was in college. I'd been baptized you know what I mean? But I remember reaching back and authenticating that baptism by my faith in God. Any of you had that situation where, you know, your parents might have done this, they might have done that, you might have went through something when you were young, but it was not authentic until faith laid a hold of it in your life. And you recognize that there was a God of creation behind all of those traditions and things that you went through that made everything significant. That's what happened in my life, I found out. There is a God. He loved me. Even though my dad rejected me, left me with, you know, with my, my brothers and my mother's seven kids. My wife and I was having problems at this time, and I thought my wife had rejected me, and I was just a mess. But 
then I realized that the hand of God was there on me as much as I knew. And I just reached out for him in that season. And he began to turn our lives around. But God didn't deliver us. You know, God doesn't necessarily deliver you from your bad choices. But he can use some of your bad choices to whip your natural butt until you come to the place where you surrender to him. Thank God. Thank God. I always tell people, God's got two hands. One of them is what? Mercy. Still. And the other one is justice. Right? So don't run. Expect only his mercy when he's going to require some justice. And, and, and they're both for us. They say the foundation of God's throne is two things on me. You know? And so we need to realize that he rules from that throne. And he's always operating in our life. And so, therefore, I was raised in this rural community, this black community. And uh, for the most part, I didn't know I was a nigger. You know what I mean? People had to, I had to be schooled to the fact that I was a nigger. That was a term that they used then. We say black now, and that's. Acceptable. I don't know how that ever happened, but there it is. Uh, but, you know, and, and so some of the, but his underlying thing was there was, a, there was an acceptance amongst peers, my peers. There's an acceptance there that was, it, it didn't discriminate. You know what I mean? Uh, amongst ourselves, there was this, just an acceptance. But uh, on another level, there was this difference. And so I had to learn how to deal with that and how to handle that and how to channel you know, identify who I am and who I am becoming and accept myself and love myself. You see, because my mother didn't want me when she was pregnant, my dad went off and left me. And now, you know, I mean, all of these uh, historical uh, things are bamming on you. And so in the midst of all of the things that we go through in life, God is there trying to instruct us more excellently. You know that? More excellently. You know, something happened, uh, what was it? It was probably about 2008 or so. Um, uh, when the bottom fell out, you know, y'all remember when the bottom fell out of uh, uh, everybody's iris? You remember that? See the hands of those who lost, took a big hit? Yeah, you look at the mostly the older folks, we're the ones that took the big hit and that thing. But you know what? God was giving people a wake-up call. Even believers who... Come to the place we trust in our riches. I think that's even that was in the line of the song where we trust in our riches or we trust in our wealth. But God will shake that. He's going to shake everything, Scripture says, that can be shaken so that only those things which cannot be shaken will remain unshaken. And it is, this is what God is doing. He's always bringing us closer to Him. Right? Always bringing us closer. So you're my son. This is what I always told my boys when they were coming up. My wife and I, we had three boys and uh, one, one daughter. And, you know, sometimes those guys, we kind of, you know, especially when you're young, you kind of act up. They kind of bristle a little bit. And they kind of, you know, your mom would tell them to do something. And, oh, mama. and man, I, I used to do this. I said, whoa, wait a minute. You don't talk to my wife like that, son. No, she was my wife before she was your mama. And there's one thing you need to get straight. Davises don't treat their women like that. See, he didn't know who he was. They didn't know. And so if you don't know who you are, you become like the people around you. And so they were becoming like the culture of young men around them, sort of brash, sort of rash, and all those sorts of things. And and we have to set them straight. And this is what God does to us. Come on. He said, you're my child. 
You can't act like the Joneses child down the street. Whether you're male or female, some of you young ladies, y'all want to run ahead of your sexuality, run ahead of the, what is morally right and sound. You want to experience everything everybody else is experiencing. God said, my children don't do that. They don't do it. And I'll keep you through these times if you trust me. If you trust me. And so he's God enough to do that. Yes, he is. And so anyway, God took us through those things. We had our children. And then we had a night that uh, about 14, 15 years ago, our, our sons, my oldest son, married, three kids. Second oldest son, married, had two kids. He just came back from Desert Storm. and They were getting established in a house right behind us, across the, the alley. Uh, I remember having lunch with them that day. I was coming home and I went past a little restaurant on the way, and I saw their cars there because they were moving stuff into the new home that my youngest son was going to be, younger of the two, was going to be moving into. And so I stopped and, uh, at the little restaurant, went in, and I went in there, and uh, Michael, my oldest son, had his, one of his sons there with him having lunch. And then Scott, the one under him, he had his son there having lunch. And I, it was a picture. You know, you ever just take a picture in your mind? And I remember sitting down there with him, and I just had lunch with him, and we talked. And I remember the waitress coming over and saying, Mr. Davis, you must be so proud to have your sons here. You know, having lunch, I said, I certainly am a blessed man. And little did I know that that very night that they were both going to be killed in an automobile accident as they were following their youngest brother home from work. And for my wife and myself, it was a situation that it was like the lights went out. You, you ever have a power failure at home sometime? If you live in this area, I know you know what I'm talking about. It's, you're doing whatever you're doing, and click, click, right? It's always inconvenient. And that's what happened. It was like the lights went out. Uh, I, I couldn't, I didn't know how to handle that. I didn't know how to... Um, sort it through my own mind. I had, I had dreams for these guys. You know, we had, there was prophetic words over their lives and our lives together that I hadn't seen what I thought was the fulfillment of these things. And so it was the most, most, most difficult time for me in um, my, our life experience. It would not have been what I had chosen. Now I remember Mike Stevens coming over and he, uh, with all the other brothers, Bryn Jones, everybody that was there, there's tremendous support. It was, it was like, it was too much for my wife and I to, to handle. But we thank God for the community of faith that took a bite out of every, more grief they took, they left us just enough for ourselves. And I remember Mike Stevens coming over, and I remember him telling me, he said, Vic, somehow or another, he said, you're going to have to release your dreams for these boys to God. Don't, it will destroy you. And um, it was so appropriate because I remember when we had heard about it, we went to the, uh, they told us that they had an accident before we knew, and we went to the hospital and they told us there, well, they're not here. They said, go to the sheriff's department. We didn't know, so we went to the sheriff's department. And that was when Mark, the younger one, who they were following home when they slid off and hit some black ice. and He came and the officer told us that they had 
you know, it expired in the accident. And uh, he asked me, do you want to identify the bodies? I said, well, he said, no, I'll tell you what, I got their driver's license, just take a look. And so I remember confirming that it was them. And I remember going out, walking out to the uh, car. I'd left my wife at home that time. And I remember going out to the parking lot, and I remember just crying out to God, Lord, you got to help me. I said, you got to help me. This is too much for me to handle. And uh, I didn't immediately get a, you know, answer to that. But I had to walk. You have to walk through those things. I had, you know, they had wives. That some or another, we had to walk them through that. They had children. You know, my daughter, you know, her two brothers, I mean, it was just, and then Mark, my youngest son, some of you might know, you know, he just struggles for years, you know, with that, because he was there, he was holding his brother when he passed, and the help was, didn't get there in time, and so it was one of those things that just kind of shook us, um, and certain aspects of it still, you don't want to look square in the face, you know what I mean, certain things you just take a glancing look at because it's just too painful to dwell on it for much, but you know, God was even in that. And God was doing things that in us that we, we, we didn't even realize needed to be done. And he's preparing us for things to yet come, which we um, needed strength in. Uh, many of you athletes, you know, sometimes the coach, you think he's crazy. Any athletes in the room are aspiring? There's females too, right? Yeah, sometimes you think the coach has completely lost their why do I have to run three miles? What has that got to do with high jumping, you know, or something like that? And, but there's things in life, they're building stamina, building a right perspective, building a trusting heart. How many of you know it takes an unusual capacity to trust God when things are not going the way that you think they should? God knows what it takes to get us there. The suffering come? Yes, it comes. It comes. I remember also recently, well, not too recently, about seven, eight years ago, my wife woke up with a pain, you know, along her face and back and stuff, and never realized at that point, you know, that she wound up going to the hospital and they had to fly her over to University of Chicago. She had an aortic aneurysm where the valve was uh, leaking, uh, aorta was leaking blood into her chest cavity, and I remember the doctor and the surgeons there telling me, Mr. Davis, I don't think she's going to make it to you. And, she, and, and two or three times, and when, when they finally did get her out one time, you know, after the operation and a couple of crises along the way, they got her out, she came home, she was home for a week and developed a, a staph infection, and they had to take her back, open up her chest, scrape all of the uh, disease, the bacteria, whatever, the infection out pumper full of fluids. I mean, so somehow you, need, you have to go on, right? And you realize, isn't it, it's this. When God takes the steering wheel out of your hands, many, you, I think driving probably is one, a good analogy for us. All of us, we want to drive, don't we? We want to have our own car, right, young ladies? You want to be able to have your own car, get in that car when you want to turn it, right? We want to drive. It's, that's the way it is in life. We want to drive. But God has a way of taking the steering wheel out of our hands. And so you can be a passenger, but I drive. In life, I drive. And parents do that. No, you sit there. 
you sit there until you learn the fundamentals, right, of driving. And then I'll trust you a little bit, and they'll give you a license. But in, in the full analysis, it's not you that's in charge. It's God that's in charge. And that's the way it is in life, through the difficulties, through the pains, through the things that you don't bargain for. And I remember when she came home, she was there for seven days. They had to, they had to literally stop her heart. They had to invert her and stop her heart from beating as, as we were standing in the emergency room waiting one more time. And that was a day in her heart. And you could hear it beat, 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 stop. Because it had got to a place where it was just racing. and It was going to blow out the stitches that had been put there from the previous surgery. And so they stopped it. And then they slowly brought her back up and heart started again. And it's, it's those sorts of times when you just have to say, Father, I'm not being too graphic to you. But, you know, life is graphic. You know, until we realize that God is in all of the details and all the circumstances of life, we think it's something other than what it is. And so life is for God's purpose, and we need to realize that. And so as, as a family and as, as a couple, we've gone through these things, and certainly they've, they've, they've challenged us in our understanding of God. They've helped to define God. You know, God is not this, you know, Christmas genie who gives us all the good things that we want in life and shields us from the hurtful and harmful things. His plans demand that we all go through. This is the scripture, John, was it Psalm 23? He says, you go through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't make a detour around it. We're all on the same journey. We're going to go through that valley. And some of us won't make it out the other end. But that does not affect his faithfulness in the matter. Because even if we don't, he is still faithful. See, because we live to his purpose and not our own. You know, so with young couples, you know, I always tell my wife and I, we counsel thousands of couples. We always tell them, look, don't waste time being angry with one another. Y'all know how it is. You get your nose out of joint, something he didn't do or she said or he forgot, she did, you know, all of, uh, and we go into this drama. Don't waste time. The enemy loves to have God's people on a detour. On the side of the road, instead of going on with God, they're on the side of the road dealing with a, you know, selfish concern rather than being passionate about the purposes of God. If we go on in God, it has a remarkable way of healing all of those little idiosyncrasies that used to be so important to us. Y'all with me? And so each one of us, God, he measures, doesn't he? God is like a tailor, right? He don't just put a big old floppy suit on you and say, go with it, bro. No, he'll get you up. Can I use? Can I use you as a demonstration, please? She's so shy. Come here for a moment. <laughs> but she's lovely. So God doesn't just take any old thing and just throw it all on him and, you know, and just say, okay, go with it. But, you know, he will measure your length. Yes, he'll measure your height. He'll measure your waist. You know, he'll measure, and he'll fit that suit to you in such a way that when you walk, man, I don't care what's been impacting you. You're looking good on the inside. You know, we have to have that picture of ourselves on the inside. On the inside. Thank you so much. What's your name? Peach. Page. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Peachy Page. 
Because we do need to see ourselves as God sees us. I'm okay. You remember that old terminology you had some years ago, psychobabble, I'm okay, you're okay, that sort of thing. They were really trying to counterfeit the, the self-realization that God wants each one of us to have. I am okay, but you know what? I'm still under construction. God is still at work in me to help me to understand that he's on my side and I'm on his side. And his side is after something that is in the heart of God from the beginning. God is after something from the beginning of the earth, church. Y'all understand that? He's relentless about his bride, his church, and his kingdom. We only serve to reveal the kingdom of God, the rule of God. It's not about us, you know, whether you're meeting here or you're meeting on Indianapolis Boulevard or you're meeting in some huge auditorium of 18,000 people. God says all of that's too small. If it's man-centered, it's missing the point. He says, all about my kingdom. And whatever you go through to bring glory to me, we need to count it worth it. Right? It's worth it. God will guide us and direct us. Now let me close. I think I'm at the end of my time. Philippians 1, 27 through 30 speaks to this end. Um, here Paul was talking to the church of Philippi, and he says, uh, Whatever happens, I always like little phrases like that. They're just pregnant with possibility. Whatever happens, well, you know stuff's going to happen, right? And God knows it, and Paul knew it. And he says, Paige, some stuff's going to happen. You didn't know you were going to be a visual aid this morning when you came to church. But he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, he says. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe, but to suffer for him. Hmm. And we're all right with that believing part, aren't we? We have been called by God to believe on Christ. Hallelujah, preacher brother. But it also says to suffer for him. I think what this is saying here, that our beliefs are not valid until we go through the different trials and difficulties of life. You understand? If you go through the difficulties believing and coming out, come out still believing, then you have valid faith. Your belief has been validated. Y'all know you ever go park someplace downtown and give you a little card, you got to have it validated? Right? Don't come back without the card validated because you're going to have to pay. All right? But this is the way it is. God says, hey, look, you're, you have belief in me? Great. Let's go forward in life. And as we go through the difficulties of life and you stand on your belief, God's have validated. Bam. But he's not, his validation is not complete because his all is a life's journey. Right? So you can have a validated uh, receipt to go to the parking garage, but if you leave and come back the next day, don't be bringing that old validated receipt that you had before. It don't work for that, see? So this is the way it is with God. He wants our faith to be valid. He says, let whatever happens in life, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. What is the gospel? You know, Paul defines the gospel in, in, in 1 Corinthians towards the end of the chapter. He, said, he calls the gospel this. It is the gospel of the kingdom. It's not just good news. Sometimes we reduce the gospel to just good news. But if you say good news, what is the news? The news is, yes, you got a Savior. 
But the news is also, yes, you got a Lord. And yes, you got a Savior and a Lord who is after the will of God to be done in the earth. And the kingdom of God to fill the whole earth. And so that's the goodness. That's what makes it so good. We win. He wins. God wins. It's his world. He will have it back. It will be presented to him exactly the way he anticipated it being presented to him when he first created it. Yes, he will. And I think this is what moves men. Men are pioneers. Y'all know that? Ooh. I like that. A deep rumble. All right. No, men are pioneers. And when we rise up, we need to have something that is worth dying for, brothers. If you ain't got something that's worth dying for, then you don't have anything worth living for. Uh, along the way, we get the bike that we think is worth dying for. We get the car that we think is worth that. We get the body that we think is worth that. You know, we do. Come on, y'all. Be honest with me. We go through all. We get the home, right? We get the everything. We get the, but then, no, all of those things God say, I got to shake them. I got to rearrange your priorities. And that's what trials and sufferings, difficulties do in our life. I love God. Appreciate his grace towards me. I validate his involvement in my life. Have we wept? You better believe it. Have we cried? Yes, we have cried. Do we have regrets? That was one thing my wife and I could say about our sons. Is as, we, as we released them, we had no regrets on how we brought them up, how we challenged them, how we'd speak, spoken a word over their lives, how both of them was in faith in their death. You know, uh, we had no regrets. We say, thank you, Lord, for the loan of these brothers for 30 and 25 years that we could pour into them, you know, what we were able to. They made us to be what we are today and the trials therein. So let me end by reading Second Chronicles, Second Corinthians. Six. I think it's six. Let me make sure again. Second Corinthians 1, verses 6 through 12. I've got to wait on me. What did I say? Which Corinthians did I say? I hope that's what I meant. Well, so I'll find out in a minute. All right. Yeah, six, being in verse six. I think. Well, we'll start at verse three. Keep it in context. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of compassion. Hallelujah. And he's a God of all comfort. Is that what you're say? Yes, he does. So he identifies himself, doesn't he? All right, so he identifies. This is who I am, right? And he says this. He is the same one who comforts us in all of our troubles. Why would he do that? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Have you received comfort for God? It's alone. That's what it is. What do you mean? It's something that you need to extend to someone else. Same comfort God has given. Because he's a God of all compassion. He's a God of all comfort. See, I didn't know that. You know, a lot of times when we hit the wall, we didn't know that. We said, God, where were you? Why did you allow this to happen? God said, hey, I got it. And so he, somewhere or another, he slips comfort in the midst of the most unbelievably desperate situations. He slips comfort into us. And we got something. Listen, whenever God comforts you, trust me, you have something that's precious. Something that needs to be shared with someone else. Because all it reveals is not you, but him. And that's what it's all about. So he says now, 
Verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, did you know that? So also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So God remembers God of all compassion. He's the God of all comfort. And as he comforts you, learn to comfort others. A patient man is, it was, is more to be desired than a, a warrior. So the Proverbs say, a patient man will take the city before the warrior do. It's the man, you can't be patient if you're not resting, if you're not assured in God. And so it's those that's why scripture says it is the meek that, that shall inherit the earth. Why, how, how can you, because see, we know how the story ends, right? And so therefore we can, we can encourage one another. Come on, brother. Y'all ever watch a basketball game after you know who wins? It's a lot more enjoyable, isn't it? <laughs> if it's your team. You don't even bother watching it again if your team lost. But that's the way it is with us in this life. God's comfort us. He, he assures us of his presence with us. He assures us of how it all ends. And so therefore, in the midst of all of our difficulties, we can know for sure that our God is with us. Amen. So thank you for uh, uh, bearing with me as I share with you. Uh, and I just want to encourage you in your own life to... To readily share with one another. You need one another. We need each other in the body. I think we're in a season and God said we need to awaken the love that we have one for another. There needs to be more of a flow between the, uh, the um, members, I guess you would say, of our bodies, uh, whether, you know, singular or, 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 or multiplural. Okay. There need to be this life appreciate the opportunity to come and share with you. I'll bring the love for all the people of Spirit of God Fellowship who are going through the same things that you're going through and they're believing in the victory of the Lamb. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you.